the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. One of the big stories over the last 48 hours was the somewhat surprising uh, uh, results in the uh, governor's race in Virginia. Yes. Uh, the Republican, uh, Glenn Youngkin, uh, kind of a, a, a businessman, but not a politician, uh, he was down double digits back, uh, when this all started and he just kept climbing and climbing and climbing and he defeated, uh, Democrat former governor Terry McAuliffe. And people are seeing this as kind of a seismic thing. Like this is a big deal. I don't yes. that. Uh, my former home state of New Jersey, while the Democratic governor won, uh, it, most people thought he would win by 10, 15 points, uh, instead won by, uh, like less than a point. Uh, so the incumbent still won, but it was so much closer than anybody thought. You see all these other things going on and there's all these people going, wow, the midterms are going to come along next year. Uh, and there's going to be, um, a, a kind of a Republican wave and people are asking what's going on. Right. Why right. Is it uh, a lot of what happened in, in Virginia had to do with education, uh, Terry McAuliffe famously said in a in a uh, debate that parents shouldn't have a role in what their kids are learning at school. Oh, <laughs> that, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> that worked against him, I think. Uh, but with that said, uh, there have been some what we like to call hot takes, right? Hot takes. Always and, are, Brian. Always are. Always are. And one is by a... Uh, uh, somebody by the name of Jamel Hill, and you may not know who Jamel Hill is, but Jamel Hill used to be at ESPN. Uh, she's now left ESPN. And to put it, you know, kind of broadly, she's comments on culture, right? Like she's still right. Okay, she's, still gotcha. she's kind of a professional commentator. And uh, she wrote this tweet, Aubrey, and it went crazy and people went nuts. And, and I want to use it for our discussion here uh, on the dangers of just painting with a broad brush. And when that happens culturally uh, and in the church, Jamel Hill, after the results of Virginia, she tweeted this. It's not the messaging, folks. This country simply loves white supremacy. That was her tweet. Whoa. Again. She said, and then she went on to say, because uh, a lot of the reason that Glenn Youngkin won was because of white women in the polling. She wrote mm. white women reporting for duty. And Whoa. so obviously she's Whoa. a provocateur, if you will. She's mm -hmm. doing this. But to uh, this got a lot of people going crazy for a lot of reasons, Aubrey, one of which is that the lieutenant governor, Republican, who was also elected in this election, African-American woman. Uh, who is really impressive. Uh, her name mistakes me at the moment, but is oh, her name is Winsome Sears. Oh, that's a that cool name. name. Winsome Sears. She's an African-American female and former Marine. She became uh, the, the first, this is unbelievable, the first female and woman of color to be elected 
as lieutenant governor in Virginia's 400-year wow. history. Wow. So you think people would be celebrating that, but people's point is like, you know, she's a Republican, so therefore it's not getting celebrated. Uh, but Aubrey, to paint millions of people who voted for Len- Glenn Youngkin as saying this just proves people want white supremacy, uh, I'm going to make the understatement of the world not helpful. And in many ways, this is what's wrong with kind mm. of uh, people commenting Twitter world. Yeah, uh, this is kind of what's wrong in our political culture and our culture in general right now. Yeah, it's certainly it feels like part of the problem. And you know me, Brian, I'm quick to be like, yep, that's white supremacy. Yep, that's racism. The problem is when you take something like this, where there actually is nuance and perhaps people voted the way they wanted to, to just say, oh, that's because of white supremacy. Then when things actually do exist because of white supremacy, which is very alive and real in our country, it almost takes away the poignancy of the real experiences Mm -hmm. of that. Yeah. And I think the other problem is this is what we talk about a lot on the common good. We cannot make these sort of stereotypical generalizations pointing the finger at one another. We have mm. to find places of unity. Yes, call out racism when racism is real, call out white supremacy when it's real. But when we're talking about something like voting, Let's uh, maybe have a conversation, a nuanced conversation. Why did you go this way versus this way? Why, And not just make assumptions that villainize the other person. That's not helpful. Yeah. And, and that's increasingly what it is, right? Like if you vote Republican, uh, Twitter all of a sudden calls you a white supremacist. If you vote Democrat, Twitter all of a sudden is going to call you a Marxist. You're obviously a socialist. Mm, like, right. And, and totally. you're just you're trying to change uh, in the very fabric of our country. Maybe people go, I don't like the way it's going here in my particular state and I want to change it and I want to vote. We have all sorts of different reasons. I did a story while you were out, Aubrey, of Colin Kaepernick's new Netflix special in which he equated uh, the NFL draft where people are getting drafted for millions upon millions of dollars uh, to slavery. And my point was that takes away the power of slavery and it takes away that. And uh, Aubrey, I, I worry as a pastor that we increasingly do this in the church, right? Like if you believe X, you're a progressive and therefore I should never listen to you. If you believe Y, then you're just a fundamentalist. And we yeah, throw these titles yeah. around in the church. And I guess I would leave it with this. Wouldn't you say it's equally as dangerous when we don't allow for nuance and gray in our church relationships as well? I think what's hard about this is I... Uh, yes, I agree with you. I all, I this is where I struggle, right? Cuz I actually think the church has been unbelievably silent when they need to be speaking out. And and you're not talking just about racism. You're talking about other issues. So let me let me say something specific then I'm going to get general, okay? I think the church has been way too silent. Pastors have been way too silent, way too unwilling to speak out against racism in our country, especially over the past year and a half. They've erred on the side of silence. Okay, that's that issue broader issue. I think you are exactly right. Anytime we're like, oh, that person's just woke. I can't hear from them. Oh, that person is too conservative. I can't listen to them. Mm -hmm. Then all we're doing is being divisive. All we're doing is dehumanizing people. We talk about this a lot on the common good, right? We are not finding the common good, the common ground and learning from one another and having Mm -hmm. meaningful conversations and civil debates and discourse that's so helpful for for us, for our country, for our churches. Ultimately, we're not loving each other when we do this. Right. We're putting that, we're, by calling someone a name, you're putting that, your hand out and saying, therefore, I don't have to engage with you. Right. And that is 
100% what's wrong with the country right now and has been for the past 18 months. Yeah, and it just leads, like you said, to polarization. If yeah. I don't have to listen to anyone who doesn't believe exactly what I believe, uh, then I'm only listening to this very, very small segment of our culture, and that's not helpful. Yeah. And what's not helpful is going on Twitter and going, uh, our, nope, our country just loves white supremacy. Right, like if right. you want to have that conversation, maybe not Twitter yeah. uh, would be the way to do it. Yeah. Well, coming up next, grinds my gears. It's been a while. Can't Something wait. Happened, something happened to me yesterday, at which point I said, oh, I'm going to talk about that. On the radio. <laughs> this is what's so good to have a microphone in our hands, isn't Amen. it? Amen. We're going to do that <laughs> next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. That music, besides getting me kind of psyched up and ready to go, that music only means one thing, Aubrey. It's going to become here <gasps> our chance over the next couple minutes to vent. Woohoo! I love this moment in our day. I love the power that it gives me to have a microphone and just vent about things. And again, what we've, what we've said before, listeners, is this is never serious. We're not venting about like, World hunger, correct. Human trafficking. This is strictly <laughs> yeah. kind of petty things Brian and I are annoyed by. Yes, and that is the essence of grinds my gears. We're we're trying to say sometimes it's cathartic to just say, you know what really bothered me yesterday, or you know what really gets under my skin. And the goal, we know we're doing this right. If you're listening, if there's some people who listen to this, being like. Really? Like that? That doesn't seem like that big a deal. That means we got it. That means yes, that's it. That's we nailed that, it. That means we have it. All right, Aubrey, I got it. It okay, happened ready. to me yesterday. And that's why I said we've got to do this on our show today, because that's again, you told me this is the beauty of having a radio show. Things can happen to us and we can go. Oh, yeah, I'm about to talk about that. <laughs> I'm going to go public with that. <laughs> That's coming. All right. So let me let me uh, give you the setting. I am at Panera by our church. I okay. spend, uh, as you know, I spend a half crazy your life amount. Yes. <laughs> at Panera. Yes, I uh, I will often write sermons or do work either at the Panera by our church or at the Panera up by my house. But, you know, the common denominator here is Panera. Yes. And so, Aubrey, behind this story is in a public place. Uh, what is the expectation for somebody on their phone? Okay. So that's kind of behind this. So okay. I am okay. sitting at Panera in the dining room. The place is pretty full. Uh, probably about 15 feet away from me, actually facing me, but about 10, 15 feet away at another table is another gentleman who you could tell is working. Like he's kind of made this his office today as well. He's got his, you know, his ear piece in and uh he makes a phone call uh -oh. he proceeds to be on this phone call for almost an hour no uh you could Are tell you, it's, you could tell it's kind of like a zoom thing not only is he speaking loudly to the point that an older gentleman who's kind of a little bit of ways makes eyes with me and gives me this 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 uh like shaking of his head <laughs> like, like you I both cannot... know how annoying this is yeah, and not, and also part of the story here, Aubrey, is what this guy was selling. Oh no, he was clearly in a sales call, and he was selling. Uh, he kept. Uh, it was the most condescending thing because he was clearly selling somebody on like a. Um, uh, it felt like a pyramid scheme. Oh come on! 
And so it was all like, hey, do you understand how passive uh, income works? No. Okay, let me explain passive income. Oh, Come if on. you get this many people. And it wouldn't end. And Come so on. he right but after this then he has a meeting in person with somebody there and the rest of us around him can hear all about passive income no. and i understand doing person to person but aubrey this telephone call went on for no. at least no, 45 no, no. minutes no not in a whisper tone but as no. if you were in your office exactly the type of person you would expect doing Annoying. a pyramid scheme phone call but it's in the middle of a Panera no. during lunch. It was like 1.30 in the afternoon. No, so it's not absolutely like not acceptable. Empty. Tell me why that's not acceptable. Because I was so mad. I kept trying to get the guy's eyes. And then I'm like, I put headphones in so I didn't have yeah. to listen to him. And I'm thinking to myself, am I just going to need to leave? Like, what? here, all right, why would this annoy you? And two, is there a role here for the workers at Panera to tell him to stop? Or is it public area? If he's going to be annoying, we all just have to put up with it. Look, there are co-work spaces you can go to. Like if you need to work with other people around you, rent one of those shared offices and go do this there. Go sit in your car and use the Panera Wi-Fi if that's what you need. But this <laughs> like is blatantly rude to other people. No, I think anytime people are using their phones in a way that's just... uh loud and interrupts other people. I I don't know. I just, I think it's socially unacceptable. And a hundred percent, I think the manager at Panera needs to come over and say, sir, you need to talk quietly or go outside. And I mean, I don't know how you do that. It is a public space, but it's not a public office. It's a restaurant where people go to work or chat with their friends. And the fact that several of you are making eye contact with one another, kind of eye rolling, I don't know. This is one of those, maybe not immoral, but certainly socially uh, very unaware. It, it, well, I appreciate you saying that. And it warmed my heart to have that moment with the older gentleman. I would have he, liked that, too. He looked like if it was 30 years before, he would have gone and confronted this guy. Like it was. Yeah, but this day and age, like you can't or like you mean if he was a younger man. Exactly. He's just ah, okay. older now. Like, and Aubrey, I can't, and I'm going to insult somebody out there right now. That's kind of the point of grinds my gears. Yeah. If you pulled somebody from central casting who was doing like a pyramid scheme <laughs> presentation in a Panera, it's this, this guy? guy was it. it wow. Was everything you'd expect. All right. That felt really good to get off my chest. Yeah. I that's watched, really I, good. My blood boy, I was so angry as this was going on, and you could see the anger happening in other people. I had my headphones on but you could still kind of hear him because he was so loud. It was terrible. All right. That's I took horrible. most of our time, but I want no, to No, that was a good one. That was a worthwhile one. I'm going to throw in one that our producer Debbie added because I actually agree with this. And I would say two things. People who don't use their blinker to change lanes. Mm, I would also time. say people who don't use their blinker when they're turning. Like I was at a four-way stop yesterday <laughs> and I thought, no, it wasn't a four-way stop. It was a crossway, but I had to stop. They didn't. And I waited, waited, waited. And then last minute, they turn on their blinker and turn. Now, maybe they changed their <laughs> mind last minute. But I was like, I could have been going this whole time. So, yes, I think that is annoying. Okay, here's what I... This is grinding my gears so much lately. I'm All ready. Right? I One of my favorite stores to shop at is TJ Maxx. 
Okay. okay. And I have had to go there recently to buy, you know, I'll talk about this later. And I talked about this last week. We had a funeral this week and another and an internment as well. So I needed to get my kids clothes. I need to get clothes. Kevin, like we just didn't have like funeral ready attire. So I had to go back and TJ back and forth to TJ Maxx a lot this week while I was tired, emotional, etc. And just trying to make some things work. And every time, every single time I was asked <laughs> if I would sign up for their credit card. Oh, no. <laughs> I get that employees have to do this. And so I would just say, no, thank you. Not right now. Like I was polite, but they keep going. Are you sure? You know, you can save 20%. Think about how much you're spending right now. You could get blah, blah, blah back. And I just kept saying, like I said, no, thank you. Are you sure? Because Christmas is coming and you might want to use the points you get for Christmas. And I finally got to the point with one person where I said, you know what? I am here to buy clothes for a funeral. Oh, I want no. you to stop asking me. Like, I was so furious. But like, if I say <laughs> no once, just accept that. Like, yes. just move forward. Don't keep going. That grinds my gears. I'm over it. I'm sick of it. I'm t- just ask one time because it's your job. If the person says no, no means no. That's that's a saying for a reason. No means no. That's outstanding. That is. Uh, you pulled the funeral card to the cashier. I did. I did. It, it probably wasn't fair, but they, and that probably grind their gears. But like I've said no three times. Stop asking me. That oh good. That's a good one. You uh you mentioned the blinker one. Uh, I agree with you on this, and my own daughter called me out on this the other day. I was uh, turning, and my youngest daughter goes, uh, no blinker, and I had already f- basically finished the turn, and I just threw my blinker on. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, speaking of grinds my gears, coming up next, I think Aubrey and I are going to disagree about something. I'm going to pose a question to her that if she's consistent, we're going to disagree about what is that? You've got to stay with us next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. All right, Aubrey, I've got the question of all questions for you because I think you and I disagree about I've, this. I'm sure we do. Is November too early for Christmas music? What say you? I mean, all I know is, and this is not for me, Brian, but my I get have get Sirius Satellite Radio, and some of my channels automatically changed on their own accord to holiday. Before it said like 40s on four. Now it says holiday music. So if they're saying it's not too early, I'm going with it. No, every every November 1st, we get out all of our Christmas music and we start playing it. Can I pause for a second here? You may. I have serious, uh, through a gift of a family member, I actually have serious radio as well in my car and it is life changing, by the way, for anybody who doesn't. You should listen to Sirius Radio except between the hours of four and six <laughs> every day. Okay, every day. No, no, no. That's the only time you should not. That's when you should be listening to AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Did you just say that you listen to the station 40s on four? Yeah, do you? No. That's, that's 1940s music? That's like the only reason I get Sirius Satellite is for 40s on four. I what? love 40s on four. This is only going to mean anything to you and I, but what are some of your, uh, your? I'll give you like my top three music stations, not other stuff, but serious okay. music stations. Yeah. Um. So again, 40s on four. I also really like the coffee. It's called the coffee house. It's like yep. all acoustic, you know, and then I like the, um, uh, 
it's like a gospel music station. Um, I can't think of what it's called all the time, but it's like all gospel music all the time. And that's wow. another one on my dial. My kids really like um, like the, the 70s on 7 or 80s on 8. Oh, my God. What do you like? So different on Sirius. It is awesome. What do you uh, listen to? Of course I, we are. I listen to The Pulse, which is which is much more kind of like music of today. And okay, another yeah. one called The Blend, which is kind of today. Oh, yeah. That, I've listened to that one. That's a fun one. Uh, I I did not surprise you don't listen to Lithium. That is like 90s grunge music. A lot of Nirvana and Pearl Jam on, oh, on Lithium. Oh, I feel like I've never even gotten that far. Yep. And then I listened to... Uh, uh, I will listen to 90s on 9 and then also yeah. the, the 2000s, it's called. But uh, yeah. yes, not 40s on 4. Anyway, <laughs> off the subject. Uh, but the question is, there are a lot of people who believe that Christmas music uh, and Christmas in general has to wait till Thanksgiving is over. Yes, there are a lot of people that are, feel very strongly about that. I mean, I think they're all Scrooges, but. <laughs> Why do you you explain this the other day? You guys are about to put up your tree, which we for are. a lot of people is like, whoa, slow yeah, down that's a little insane. bit here. I know. But like most churches, most people, Christmas, Advent, all whatever you want to refer to it as, uh, is after once you've put the turkey away, right? Uh, you know, Thanksgiving is over. Then we move to Christmas, right? So why do the Samsons believe differently? Well, okay, I, I I'll say two things. Part of it is. Our tree is 16 feet tall, three stories <laughs> tall, and six feet wide across. So you have to move furniture. We literally move furniture to the basement. We redo our whole living room just to get this giant tree up. And you can't put a tree. I mean, it takes day. It takes almost a week to get the whole thing up and decorated. You can't have that up for three weeks. You know what I mean? Like this thing is an event. So Part of it is we need to have it up for a while. But I would say, I mean, this we just love Christmas. And I feel like you can have Christmas decorations at Thanksgiving. Doesn't mean I'm not thankful for the pilgrims and for the Native American people. Like I I just I don't know. We just love Christmas. It brings us delight and joy. And so why not? Do you not my worry would be, does it not start to make you tired of Christmas by like December 15th? Are you kidding me? No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Nope. Nope. It just feels like we've celebrated very well. And then it's always sad when we have to take it down. Even our kids are like, oh, we miss our Christmas house. (laughs) I mean, you could keep it up all year. That could be your move. (laughs) That could be your move. So let's turn this pastoral. Uh, What are (laughs) what are things about Christmas? Why is it important to look forward to Christmas, whether you do it on November 1st or you do it on December 1st? Like, how do we prepare ourselves for Christmas and why is that really important to use Christmas as an opportunity spiritually to to kind of um, get focused, if you will? I mean, you're good. I'm just thinking about decorations and music and presents, frankly. But if you, yeah, if if you want to be pastoral, no, I mean, we're celebrating the incarnation of Jesus. And I, you know, Kevin and I do Advent with our kids. We don't start until Advent Sunday. So we have an Advent calendar that we light and we have readings that we do with our kids. So we do take moments when you're actually supposed to traditionally to celebrate the church calendar and Jesus's birth. I think part of it is just, especially the time change here in Chicago, it gets dark so early. 
there's something about Christmas lights, Christmas candles, Christmas decor that begin to start helping you think about light in the darkness, especially Mm. when outside it's getting dark, it's getting cold. And I I think our hearts need that. And I would say, especially after the past couple of years that we have lived in, our hearts need some hope, you know, remembering that Jesus came as a baby and because he took on flesh, our flesh can be saved because he assumed humanity, our humanity can be redeemed. And it's, it's really, really essential for the Christian, I think, to mark Christmas because it really is the birth of Jesus really is the foundation of why we even are saved and know who God is. That's really well put because I think we all can get caught up in <clears throat> the commercialization of Christmas, right? Absolutely. All about the gifts, all about this. Yeah. And you uh, you lose, like let's use the phrase that has been used for centuries, Jesus is the reason for the season, yeah, right? that's like, right. What is it that we are actually celebrating? And then you burn through Christmas and you're like, what? That was just a blur. Mm. Uh, and what just happened? It is the beauty of an advent calendar. Uh, it is the beauty of... Uh, of walking through it. It's, it's the beauty of as pastors and churches taking time out of what you were, you know, like, let's say you're in the book of Luke right now and get the Thanksgiving or whenever, and just kind of transition to a focused Christmas advent, however, you're kind of what, what your church does and then pick up afterwards. Uh, I do think it's, uh, it's important. So it's fun to think about, do we sing Christmas songs yet? Do we put up our Christmas tree? <laughs> so I'm guessing you don't though. You're kind of a Thanksgiving purist and then you do it after. Uh, I, you're going to, you and I, are, our friendship is going to break here over this a little bit, because I think that uh, if you asked my wife, she would tell you that I'm one who tries to wait into December, yeah, like before yeah. our Christmas tree goes up. And like, I am the, also the one who tries to get the Christmas tree down by New Year's, like that kind of thing. And so that's wow. where our fights go. Um, I feel yeah. so sad for your family, Brian. <laughs> yeah. And then I always like wait too long to put the lights up outside and then it's cold. Anyway, I sound like a Scrooge. I love Christmas and I love decorating. It's just a matter of when. Like, I can't wait till Caleb starts playing that weird Christmas shoes song again, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but we want to, uh, you know, have you kind of focus in on Christmas. It's coming. Thanksgiving's coming. Christmas is coming. Well, coming up next, Russell Moore. He's got a podcast uh, and he talked fascinatingly to Philip Yancey. We're going to discuss a little bit of that next year on The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Uh, Aubrey, Russell Moore has a podcast out called The Russell Moore Show. Uh, he had on Philip Yancey. You and I talked about Philip Yancey a couple weeks ago. Uh, Philip Yancey is kind of coming uh, back into the limelight right now. He is a prolific author. Uh, I told you a few weeks ago about the impact that some of his books, including The Jesus I Never Knew, mm-hmm. had at a very kind of foundational part of my faith. I re- read The Jesus I Never Knew while uh, in spending the summer in the Holy Lands while I was in college, and it was unbelievable. That's awesome. Uh, but Philip Yancey, part of his appeal is that he really wrestles with evangelicalism. He really wrestles with the faith. He really wrestles with mental health issues and all sorts of other things. We want to play a clip because we thought this was really important. uh, And then we will respond to it. I talk to pastors and maybe you talk to pastors who say some of my best people in the church have left over 
vaccines and masks. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. you know, I can understand theological divisions. If you doubt the Trinity or the resurrection, you know, these are important things to get straight. But to leave the church, maybe even leave the faith over whether to wear a mask or not, something's wrong with the church that does that. Yeah. When, when Jesus was leaving, he spent one long night with his disciples, the Last Supper, and John 13 to 17 spells that out in great detail. And he said, this is, this is what's most important. I'm leaving. I'm turning it over to you. And, and here's how people are going to know you're different from anybody else. First, he washed their feet. He said, you're here to serve, not to be served. And uh, I want you to look for ways to serve. And then he said, I want you to love. I, I give you a new commandment. You'll to, Christians will be known by their love. That's the mark of a Christian. And then the last thing he said is, and, and my prayer for you is unity. If you would just have the unity that we had in the Trinity, then again, people would look and say, oh, those Christians, they, they love each other. They're unified. Service, love, unity. And I look around me at some of the conflicts going on in the church in the United States right now, and I don't see those three prominent characteristics. And Jesus told us that's what make, should make us different than other people in the world. All right, Aubrey, let me give you the mic. What what would you, what do you think about what Philip Yancey had to say there? I mean, you know what I appreciate about Philip Yancey is I, I feel like there's there's a lot of folks that are criticizing the church, especially the evangelical church, from outside of the church, right? Mm-hmm, like they've mm-hmm. left. But he's staying and he's saying, I what I want is for the church to be who Jesus wants us that's to right, be. That's right. And so the fact that he reminds us, I think he's his his finger is like spot on the pulse right now that we are fighting and leaving the church and, and having just debates that are silly over just kind of, I'm not saying they're unimportant things, but they're things that don't need to be divisive and we're allowing them to be divisive. And ultimately him just saying, look, Jesus himself prayed and told us that we should be known by how we serve each other, love each other, and by our unity. And right now, that is not what the world around us is seeing. Yeah. And so this was a convicting call. But again, what I appreciate about this is, Philip Yancey is wrestling from within. He's not saying, therefore, I'm done with the church. He's saying, no, like, church, let's get better at being who Jesus has said that we are and ought to be. And I just, I don't know, I appreciate that stance and that heart so much. And I just, I think he's right. Yeah, and it's it's kind of easy to say, really difficult to do, right? When we say we need yeah. to return to what Jesus told uh, us to be. Yes, Brian. Uh, but he's so right. And, you know, you and I have talked uh, a lot over the last couple months about just the state of the church, we as pastors and what we're struggling with. Um, I read an article the other day that said 98% of churches are meeting regularly again in our country and 75% of those churches self-report to being uh noticeably smaller. Yeah, I like believe there's that. something going on in the mm-hmm. church right now. I jokingly told me and another pastor, we were talking about that statistic. And uh, I jokingly said 75% of the churches are reporting to being smaller and 25, 25% of them are lying at the moment. So, uh, <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> there's something going on, Aubrey. And there's that a is. chance for us though, as the church to say, okay, 
Uh, it's not just about COVID, but why have we spent the last 18 months fighting about masks and vaccines and this? But we've also spent it fighting about politics and fighting yeah, about right. um, culture war issues. And none of those, that's not to say that those things aren't important, but but it does feel like we have elevated things above mm. what Jesus has called us to do, who he has called us to be. And there's this kind of reckoning that is happening uh, but Aubrey, what would the church look like if we actually started to turn a corner and get this more right? If we did return yeah. to use Yancey's words to what Jesus told us to be, what would some of the changes be that we would expect to see? I mean, I think the fallacy is that we think this means we all have to agree on everything all the that's time, right. right? And I think that's part of the problem is that people then are leaving. They disagree with their pastor on how their pastor handled COVID. And so they go to a church where they totally agree with their pastor. Like, it, so I do, this is not about everyone believe or agreeing right. on the same issues. In fact, I think part of what God created the church to be is diverse in yes. its unity. And so we need different cultural perspectives, different political perspectives, different ages, different genders, different ethnicities. Like that's what helps us represent to the world the multifaceted glory of God. But what I do think this means is that we are more willing to lay down our rights, our opinions, mm -hmm. our perspectives for the good of someone else and to yeah. honor someone else. And I also simply think it means things like we are willing to sit and have dialogue and kind interactions with people we disagree with without letting it ruin our friendships. Yeah. Somewhere I mean, it's so simple, but it's so hard. Well, somewhere along the way, we've confused unity with uniformity, right? There like, you go. That's you good, have to right? be, everyone yeah. has to be the same. That's never it. You know why we know that? You look at the early church and yep. who are the people that Jesus built it upon? Yep. People who should have hated each other. Yeah, that's uh, right. And it was messy and it was this. Jesus could have gotten the 12 greatest religious leaders and built this kind of religious institution in which everybody – he went the opposite. Mm -hmm. But yet somehow now there seems to be – uh, we have to have uniformity, not just about the big stuff, but the small stuff too. Everyone has to think the same about masks and vote the same and do, and you're like, what, when did this become right. the calling? And so I think that's the reckoning going forward. Can we as the church increasingly mirror Jesus? Uh, because we're not doing a very good job of it at times here. And I think we're, uh, I said reaping the benefits. We're feeling the effects of that. Uh, going forward. So a really good podcast. I'd, I'd encourage people to check it out. Coming up next, uh, Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined by Dr. John Perkins. Uh, he's done a ton of stuff in his life, but most recently, author of a new book called so Count exciting. It All Joy, The Ridiculous Paradox of Suffering. I might sit this out and just let Aubrey have at it. Oh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. Yeah, stay with us as we're joined by Dr. John Perkins next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And Aubrey, every now and then we, we get to do great interviews in this. But you and I have both been uh, really looking forward to the interview we're going to get to do now as we get to spend time with Dr. John Perkins. Dr. Perkins is 
one of the last living civil rights leaders who fought for equality and reconciliation through most of his life. Uh, he served in an advisory role under five presidents, received 16 honorary doctorates. We could spend the next nine minutes, 10 minutes just doing that. But uh, he's kind of written his life's work, uh, a really important book uh, called Count It All Joy. Uh, and so, Dr. Perkins, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for being here. I'm delighted for us to have this discussion. Yeah, it is absolutely our pleasure. And uh, Dr. Perkins, why don't we start with the book? Why this book right now? What is important about this book for you? Well, I had set out to write what you would call your manifesto. What do I Mm. believe are the most important issues within the Christian faith? And, and how do that work? How do incarnational teaching and speaking work? So I started out, what is the essence of Christianity? Mm-hmm. Uh, it is to know God, to make him known, to love him, to serve him forever. What is the most important issue we're here to solve? Why did he come? And he came to forgive us for our brokenness in terms of our sin. And so we wrote a book, we call it One Blood. Uh, humanity is jacked up. Yes. In relationship to what we call racial issues. And the way we play the racial game is a made up game. It's not from the Bible. Mm. Made up from extracts from the Bible, but it's not made up as the excellence of the Bible teaching. The excellence is what I just said. It's to know God and to do his will and to serve him. And if there is one God, one mediator between God and man, that man is Christ Jesus. We interfered race in here as an issue that we made up. There's one God, one mediator between God and man, that man cried. We done made up a big old lie that Mm -hmm. is threatening our world. And it has to do with how we look at what is life and what is love. Mm. And so what I did here was I tried to put together what is the issue? Sin. We are broken. What's the solution for that issue? It's to confess our sin to an one eternal God. Amen. And, and then that was the first book, and I call that One Blood. And second book was called, he calls me friend. The question I'm answering is what Paul raised in Romans 4. Uh, what did Abraham Find when he found this one true and living God. What he found was a friend. And a friend is a way to discipleship. The issue here in discipleship is love itself. Love itself. Love is the summa of human thoughts in life. So he created this one God, this one human race, and he wanted us to love each other and obey him. We want that in that. And so he came into the world to lead us back to himself, to be reconciled to himself. Race is the way we doing it has nothing to do with it. Hmm. That one race to be reconciled uh, is to be uh, reconciled back to God based on our 
that reconciliation on the basis of race, color, and those things is not a biblical thought. Amen. The third book was counted all joy. And I call that the paradox of suffering, a ridiculous paradox of suffering. Why suffer? That's a question we are answering here. It's a question go on and on. What makes suffering so redemptive? Mm-hmm. What, make, what makes suffering so vicarious? What makes suffering is something that we will have as long as we be here on earth. Life and suffering. What is suffering? It's the prick that reminds us that we are broken mm-hmm. so we can repent and turn back to God and live in that oneness he created us to be. One human race that if if you would use color, you would say one human race, white race, uh, black race. That is not a thought. Yeah. And, 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 and I don't know how we're going to get out of this. Oh. I, I, don't know, I, I know sort of how we formal up to get there. Noah is presented in the Bible as a white man who had three white sons. One of his grandsons was Ham. We turned him black, and we said that he got to work for and become the servant of those two white boys. Mm. That's made up. Yes, it is. That's a made up story. The Bible don't do that. That's why we can't fix it. We're we're made up a lie that can't be fixed. All of what we fix now is to confess our sins and recognize the fact that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and that man is Christ Jesus. Amen. What the world for is to reconcile this one humanity back to the holy God because we now have broken up into pieces. Mm. Almost made a God out of our own color. Isn't that true? Wow. Minorities don't know what, what they have done. Mm. Minorities, who is a minority? Why is a minority? Why do we hate him? Mm. And, and we know a little bit about how we hate white and black. I'll told you a little bit about that. But it was an easy way of having labor and to brand people. So it's the one we made the most important. He was the best. He was the emperor. And all the rest of us are servants to to him. Now, and this is so confusing because minorities in their country don't see themselves as a minority. Right. It's on us imperialists. And we're on our way to genocide. Mm. Unless when we come back to the word of God and accept Jesus as a redeemer and as a sacrificed lamb so that he can wash away our sins, all of our sins, black sin, white sin, all the sin of this one humanity. Amen. Dr. Perkins, what has kept you going all these years? I'm sure there are times you've wanted to give up and you've seen, I mean, like you were just talking about how much racism exists right now in our country. It's so difficult. What keeps you going? I think it's me coming to know Jesus Christ, when I was 26 or 7 years old, uh, and about in 1950, 
6.57, it was that when I awareness come to me about trying to understand Christianity. I'm not from a, a typical black Pentecostal Baptist church. Uh, we grew up as bootleggers and gamblers. <laughs> some, some, why not? We knew the system was wrong. And we know if we was bootlegging back in those days when prohibition, we knew we was doing wrong. So I grew up that way. I dropped out of school when I was somewhere between the third and, and, and fifth grade. And, and, and so I, I never believed that separate could be eco. Mm. That's why they made black folks think. They made, it, it cost a lot. They had to bring separate restrooms, separate signs to go to make water and all those kind of things in life. We created all of that fuzziness in our society and then made us believe that. Mm. And the beginning of not believing that was Brown versus the Board of Education. Right. When the, when the, when the little black dog thought that the white dog was prettier than them. Mm. It, it developed in us self-hatred. And we're not dealing with that along with our crime issue. We're killing one another. And in my community, we black are killing two or three times more than white are killing. I'm talking about in my country here. And now minorities build this country because the enemy was here already. When we're going to make America white again, or when we're going to make America great again, what is that about? Right, right. What is, what is that about? And why, what is it about that we are so mad with each other about that? Mm. So we're in a very tight place where we think political critiques add to God's concern. Yeah. It, it, for me to be on one of those sides, I got to be on one of those sides to be on God's side. Mm. Lord, we're in a we're in a, a situation that we've never been at before. We make the perfect constitution. The constitution concept is the greatest concept in human history as an extract from the Bible. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all humankind was created equal and was endowed by that creator with certain rights. Chief among those is life. That's a common good. That's right. Life is a common good. We all have that as a common good. We, we could do something if we understood that that was a common good and God gave us life. And he, and he built into that the equality of the human race because there's one race. And he did justice in all that we wouldn't kill each other so fast. We would work for the common good. And the common good is life itself. Isn't that a beautiful story? So beautiful. Amen. Again, the book is called Count It All Joy, The Ridiculous Paradox of Suffering. And Dr. Perkins, uh, I think of the person out there listening who's going through suffering right now, who's really struggling and thinking about giving up. Um, what, what would you say to that person who's like, I don't know if I could take any more suffering in this life? What, what's a word of encouragement that you could give to them? Oh, oh, boy, he came to give us eternal life 
in this life is not the end. He came to redeem us and to make us just as if we had never sinned. That's what forgiveness is about. Boy, that's the good news. The good news is that God loved us. He so loved us, he created one people to represent him in this world in which we are living. And and we are pretty mad about that. Yeah, we are. It, and it's the greatest joyful story. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Joy is a part of that love, which is a sum of thoughts. It's the best thought you can think of as it relates to happiness. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto us is born this night in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. But he's going to love us. He's going to die for us. He's going to show us that pain after I sin is death. Yes. And the wedge of that sin is death. The good news was the message to the shepherds. Behold, I bring you good news of the greatest joy. For unto you is born this night in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He shall save his people from sin. Oh, Lord, have mercy. How did we get confused like this? How did we? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Again, Dr. Perkins, uh, we can't tell you enough how thrilling it is for us to have you with us today. Uh, the new book is called Counted All Joy, The Ridiculous Paradox of Suffering. Uh, there's so much good stuff in there, people, that I would encourage you. Go get that book wherever it get, you get books. Christmas present, whatever else it might be. It's called Count It All Joy. You can learn more about Dr. Perkins and his writings and his books at jvmpf.org. Uh, or you can connect with him on Twitter at John M. Perkins. That's at John M. Perkins. Dr. Perkins, we are so grateful for you, for your ministry, and uh, for the little bit of time you were able to spend with us today. Thank you so much. Well, I'm delighted to be with you uh, and to have this wonderful time of, of conversation together. Thank you so much. Uh, our prayers are with you. And again, the book is called Count It All Joy, The Ridiculous Paradox of Suffering. That's again, Dr. John Perkins. You are listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. I want to talk about Jordan Peterson, famously the author of 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos. He's a psychology professor out of the University of Toronto. Uh, very well-known person, right? Like you're fully yes. aware of Dr. Jordan Peterson, right? Um, I feel like you're putting me on the spot a little bit because... <laughs> I have to confess that today was the first time I have heard his name. <laughs> and I was just like thinking like, oh, he's a YouTuber. He's a, <laughs> I didn't know he's this brilliant, genius, best-selling author, but I want to talk about him because he posted something beautiful on YouTube where he's known as a YouTuber. <laughs> yes. This beautiful, powerful spoken word that I feel like is the heart of the common good, frankly. Yep. Yep. So let's go ahead and listen to that. This is Dr. Jordan Peterson. I watched Fox News release a message this week. There are terrible things afoot under the surface of our society. 
and the perpetrators are coming for you and coming for us. And then I watched the Democrats respond in panic and anger, saying, there are terrible things afoot under the surface of our society, and the perpetrators are coming for you, coming for us. Are there terrible things afoot, bubbling under the surface? Is something coming for you and for us? Ask yourself how true that is of yourself and your own life. Have you addressed all that? Are you concerning yourself with the dust in your enemy's eyes instead of attending to the filth that obscures your own sight? Do we want accusation, suspicion, discord, derision, and hatred? Or the peace and prosperity and happiness that beckons to us at this moment like never before? Uh, Aubrey, why do you say that's the heart of the common good? What was it about uh, yeah. what he did there that that you resonated with? Yeah, I mean, let me step back just one second. One of the things that we do here on the common good that we're really intentional and really passionate about is where we are so divided, finding places that we have common ground. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then talking about when we're so divided, how we honor each other, even when we disagree. And oftentimes because of that here on the common good, we interview people we disagree with. We interview people we agree with wholeheartedly. We interview people we know you agree with and disagree with. Brian and I sometimes disagree with one another. We do that very intentionally because we feel like it is time for the church to get better at finding unity dignity and the common good, for lack of a better word, the common good. And so the fact that when when he said in this spoken word, I watched Fox News release a message this week, but then he swung it the other way and I watched the Democrats respond in panic. And he talked about, are we so concerned with the dust in our quote unquote enemy's eyes instead of attending to the filth that obscures our own sight? Of course, he's quoting Jesus there, right? But yeah. Um, the question that we we didn't air this, but later he asks, who is the real enemy here? Do mm. we want revenge or justice? Do we want contempt or mercy? Do we want war or peace? What are you aiming at in your heart of hearts? And I feel like that is the question that we have to be asking ourselves as a nation right now. Are we, he says, the best of men are degenerating into exchange of blows. The best of men are identifying the enemy in neighbors and strangers. The best of men are falling prey to cowardice and self-righteousness. It needs to stop. And I feel Mm. like uh, he just, he just said so well, what is happening right now and the fact that it does need to change. Yeah. I think when he says, what are you aiming at in your heart of hearts is, uh, is a really uh, convicting question to be asked because uh, we, we do spend a lot of time on this show talking about where we see things devolving and degenerating. Uh, and um, the idea that, you know what, we have an opportunity now as Christians to live differently. Yeah. To say, uh, to say you know what, no one is my enemy because Jesus has told me to love my enemies. That's so, right. so even if I do have enemies, I'm going to love them. I'm going to treat them in such a way uh, that looks different because we don't, we villainize people. Uh, we... Uh, you know, we uh, categorize people and, and that's not helpful in the church or outside of the church. And it does feel like in many ways who we are as a culture is just kind of devolving. And the church, 
those who follow Jesus need to be agents of change with this. We have to. We can't just go with the flow. But we yeah. need to be agents of change who treat differently those people that we disagree mm. with, those people who hurt us, those people um, who uh, who culturally are, quote unquote, our enemies. Yeah. Another thing that Jordan Peterson said in the in the poem that we shared with you or the spoken word that we shared with you, he says, do we want accusation, suspicion, discord, derision and hatred or the peace and prosperity and happiness that beckons to us at this moment like never before. And I think the reality is we really do want peace and prosperity. We do want to experience shalom. Like, I don't think any of us, even those of us who are guilty of accusing and making enemies online, I don't think any of us would really say in our heart of hearts, we want discord, derision, and division. We would say, no, we want unity. We want peace. But you're right. Brian, we have to do the work to make it happen. And it does seem like the cultural moment, like the spirit of the age is really like there's a watershed. Are we going to make changes and go one direction? Are we going to keep going on this downhill decline of hatred? Are we just like bent on destroying each other? Or at some point, are we going to really be who Jesus has called us to be? Um, and, and love and honor the Imago Dei that's in every single person. Yeah. And so as we close out the show today, Aubrey, what's uh, one step? What do we do? How do we become agents of change, as we've said, as the church, rather than just allow ourselves to go in the flow of culture here? Yeah. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is just like when you are tempted to go online and say something that tears somebody down, just walk away from your computer screen. Mm. You know, if you really feel the need to, send them a message and say, oh, I disagree with you about this thing. Do you think that we could talk about it? This has not been my experience. But otherwise, I think you just step away, you go for a walk, you pray about it. Then you come back when you're in a different headspace. Like yeah. it just seems like if we could start that, it's a small thing. It's not the whole thing. It's a small thing though. Let's start with that and see what God does. Yep. That's a great start. Well, Aubrey, it's great to have you back. It's been fun to be great back to be together. Back. Uh, and we will be back together again tomorrow. So join us on Friday from four until six. Until then, we hope that you have a great night tonight. For Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm, and you have been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.